can be talked about from many different angles. I, I'm going to speak a little bit about it this morning from an angle that I haven't really um, done before, although it's very common. Um, and that is the uh, the Bhagavatam's 10th Canto description of how it is that Krishna came to take birth. Of course, this is um, somewhat... Uh, as esoteric, if you will, as it is that God appears in the world, uh, external, um, somewhat external. Whereas when we go deeper into the core, into the heart of Gaudiya, uh, Vaishnavism, um, we find, for example, in Chaitanya Charitamrita, uh, not only internal and external reasons for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, but internal and external apparent reasons for Chaitanya, for Krishna's appearance. So the two correspond to Krishna and, and, and Lord Krishna. Uh, Krishna himself in the Gita mentions internal and external reasons for his descent. Pritranaya sadunam vina shaya traduskritam dharma samstapanartaya. Sambhavami yuge yuge. Yuga after yuga, millennium after millennium, I appear um, to establish the Dharma in the world and to protect the devotees. So the latter is internal. To answer to the distress of the devotees, what could that be? That must be their uh, pangs of separation from him that have reached a point that he can no longer bear, no longer bear their separation as they can no longer bear his, and thus he appears for them. 
those sadhakas who have are are ready to enter into the prakat lila and perfect themselves thereby through the association of the nitisiddhas who descend along with him. That's internal. Uh, he, he comes to earth to play out his human-like lilo. Where would be a better place than within human society? I've likened it in the past to uh, filming on location, hmm? which is thought to be an extra added feature in the uh, in the um, theatrical uh, cinema I- industry. <clears throat> I guess there are they're props in Goloka, but here it's actually uh, uh, human-like in the full sense. So um, it's a very special place. We'll get to that. Earth, it's a place of uh, uh, where love is most played out in, in the material world. Uh, we'll, we'll come to that, I think. But uh, but this is all with some uh, reference to the internal reasons of his descent. Regarding that verse of the Gita that I just cited, Bhaktivinoda says, and this doesn't mean only in India, but I would comment further on that. But the internal reason refers only to his appearance in India, whereas the external appearance, reason for his appearance to establish Dharma could be through Avishavatars, as Bhaktivinoda explains, in different parts of the world at different times relative to the particular culture um, uh, in that area, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> Indeed, in ways in which their, uh, his appearance may correspond with um, another Vaikuntha Loka, if you will, whatever it is, Jesus Loka, or uh, for lack of a better... <laughs> It doesn't have to be a Sanskrit name necessarily. So, but that, that's external. Uh, and, but that's not, but that's substantial, obviously, that he appears in the world. So the verses from the Bhagavatam, which describe it, the reason for his descent, um, they're a string of nine of them, and they uh, mark the beginning of Sukadev's response to uh, Parikshit Maharaj, at the onset of the 10th canto. Hmm? Sutta says a word or two in between as a, as a mediator and, uh, and, and Sukadev speaks. So I want to go through um, those verses with you and uh, see what, uh, what, uh, what insights uh, come, come to the fore here. Um, the, there's a, there's a preface, a 10th verse, I guess you could say to this, section, which is the first um, utterance of Sukadev, where he responds now to Parikshit's earnestness to know. After all, what he's asking about Parikshit Marsh is go into more detail about that, which you just mentioned in the ninth canto in passing, that Krishna and Balrang appear uh, next, 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 uh, as he talked about the uh, the the, uh, the other dynasty and, and, so, and so forth. He wants to go into it in detail. And the, the earnestness with, with which, or the extent of his earnestness, which is which is um, tied to his own name, Parikshit, the inquirer. You know, he's inquiring at the cost of um, eating and 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 drinking. Hmm? Previously, he became disturbed 
because of not uh, because of ha- being fasting and coming to the her- hermitage of the sage, not being received and greeted and offered some at least some water. And this was uncharacteristic of the of, of Parikshit Maharaj. Now he says, I'm eating and drinking the nectar that's coming from Sukadev's mouth, and I've forgotten about eating and uh, and drinking, which is more to his character. So we can understand Bhagwan used him in a certain way to feel insulted, which wasn't wasn't characteristic of him, um, and, and so forth, so that the Bhagavatam could be spoken. So Prikshit, Sukadev, the main characters, the, the hearer, the listener, the inquirer, and the, the answer of the speaker. So Sukadev has been praised, and Sukadev praises Prikshit's inquiry. And he says in his opening verse here that the nature of uh, kata about Vasudev, about Krishna, is is such that it um, that it it purifies the speaker, it purifies the inquirer, and it purifies the listeners, just as the Ganges purifies the upper, the middle. And the foot, he says, the foot, just as the foot wash of Krishna, Charnamrita, purifies. So how does it purify in three ways? Well, one way to think about that, of course, is that the foot wash of, of original foot wash of, in one sense, in this world is, 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 comes from Vamana poking his foot into the piercing, the, the covering and the, and the celestial Ganges washing over his feet. Feet and it bays the upper, the middle, and the lower planetary systems. So, similarly, the speaker, the inquirer, and the listener are purified by the um, the flow of Vasudev Kata, and that and in, in, in an order too. The commentators have have uh, uh, underscored this. The speaker gets the most benefit. Hmm. Um, because he's 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 uh, he has heard it, otherwise how can he speak it? Mm-hmm. And and he's speaking it on top of that. So when you've heard something and then you speak it yourself, then you, you pay more attention. <laughs> Especially if it's something that you're telling other people they should do, and <laughs> you're reminded that uh, you need to do that too. Mm-hmm. You should be careful that, uh, not to become your enemy in the moment that you preach. Right. Your own enemy. <laughs> so or if we anyway, if we're saying it ourselves, then we have to take it a little more seriously. If we expect uh, others to pay attention, because really. To extend that example speaks louder than precept. And this was very much the way of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching. He didn't say that much. He didn't write anything but a few verses that we know of. But his example stood out. So the speaker and then the listener, the inquirer, who, who had enough interest to pose the question. And then the sages in this instance at Namishani, who or, or excuse me, on the bank of the Gandhis, who are listening. They're kind of like captivated by speaker and the, and, and the listener and the dynamic uh, between them. So a glorification of, uh, if you will, Vasudev Kata on the part of Sukadev, who it's obviously 
uh, as I was saying, the central, central, one of the two central figures to the Bhagavatam uh, discourse, and who is depicted as a sadhana siddha. Hmm? Sukadeva was an atmarama. He was, uh, he was self. He took, he was taking pleasure in the self. We all take pleasure in the self, really. Hmm? Upanishads say it's not the husband one loves, not the child that one loves, it's the self that one loves. Hmm? And our attachment to others hmm, is kind of extending ourself into others and we're loving ourselves. That's not a selfish idea that's being presented there in, this, in, in the Upanishads, but the idea that the Atma in all of us is really the object of, of, of love in the world. It's what's lovable. Matter is not lovable. It can't re- reciprocate. <laughs> it's a dead thing. We're alive. Hmm? So the Atma is the, is, is the basis of happiness. It's a basis of experience and, and the, uh, I think Jiva Goswami Sandarbhas calls it the kind of the, the foundation of love in the world. If there's anything in the world that most resembles God, what would it be? It would be you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something that is practically a chintya consciousness. Mm. Something that you, you want to measure, but only to realize, wait a minute, I'm the ruler. <laughs> How can I measure myself? I'm the measurer. It's me. Mm. Big subject, of course. Uh, consciousness, the nature of consciousness, the different ideas about it. Mm. What it, what it, what it's, uh, what it's constituted of. But, um, both today in the modern world and in ancient times and in within Vaishnavism and then within Gaudiya Vaishnavism, mm. the nature of the self. Uh, what does it uh, uh, entail? Um, but at any rate, <clears throat> Sukadev is an Atmaram. So no matter how much pleasure you could seek to acquire or to, to experience by acquiring in the world, hmm, it doesn't compare to the joy of the self, if you will. Hmm? Yes, Jiva Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, they say that the, the joy of the Atma is the absence of suffering, but it's pretty joyful. <laughs> Therefore, there's the term Atma Ram. He's taking pleasure in the self. Hmm? I'm eternal. Hmm? I be, and there's no, there's, and I have no, no suffering. Hmm? That's a pretty big accomplishment, if you will. It's a pretty big zero coming from the negative numbers of karmic uh, implication. And the karmic enjoyment really played out is suffering. If you look at it, you know, uh, uh, thread, you know, in its entirety. So there he is. He, there he is. He's arrived at Atmaram. He's self-satisfied. He doesn't need anything. And then he hears the songs. He hears the Vasudev of Kata. Hmm? So he's speaking from his own experience here. What is the power of Vasudev Kata upon the listener, which he was at one point, and now he is the speaker. Hmm? And, in, in, and so there's there's something to him hmm? in one sense that's besides his self that he's experiencing. But in another sense, of course, it's not. 
because the self has the potential. Hmm? That is the whole meaning of tatasta. It has the potential to reside in the spiritual world, hmm? in Leela Seva. Hmm? Instead of serving the senses, manifestations of material nature, it can serve Bhagavan's senses. There is between calm and praying. Hmm? It has that potential. So for it to realize its potential through circumstances that allow that to happen, hmm? like a child has the potential to walk, given the circumstances, if they're in place, if he, if he gets a little older, his bones get a little stronger, uh, uh, and he gets a little help from his friends, right? You can walk with a little help from your friends and other things too. So, uh, uh, and be happy. Hmm? You can have friends in bhakti. In Gyan, you gotta be alone. Hmm? But in bhakti, you can have friends. Hmm? That's called sadhusanga. In bhakti, we don't advance by detachment. We advance by attachment. Hmm? By sadhusanga. Attachment to devotees, a byproduct of which is detachment from everything else, right? So here Sugadevi is completely detached, but the, this is what the whole Bhagavatam is about. Something else happened to him. He heard the songs about Krishna that his father Vasudev gave to the woodcutter, collecting firewood, told him to sing these poems. Hmm? When you, you go in the forest, and maybe my son left home and right after taking birth, will hear them and come back hmm? and, and realize there's something more than Atmaram, something more than self-realization. That more is in you, but but it's in you in potential. Hmm? That's not to say that you've gained something that you don't have, something you've gained all that you could be, hmm? all, that, all, all that you could possibly be, which ends up, of course, uh, as we know, to have a a role in the drama of, of Krishna Lila. Hmm? So Sugade realizes this in, in the Bhagavatam narrative at the end portion of the 10th, 5th chapter, 15th chapter of the 10th canto, the Denikasur Lila. Krishna's returning home with the coward boys and the gopikas have climbed the moon tower hmm, to see him on the way in and Glances are exchanged, and this is the first place in the Bhagavatam in which what we call, what Rupa Goswami has termed Purvarag hmm, occurs within, this is within Madhurya Rasa. Purvarag is a, is a, is a separation, a feeling of separation that results from meeting, seeing, hmm, hearing about the object of one's love, but not being able to confirm it with her or him um, and and pursue it. Hmm? So he sees the Gopikas, he sees Radhika, they see, they exchange glances, uh, but they can't openly uh, express it. This is Purvarag, basically. So the Bhagavatam is describing this instance, which occurs repeatedly, but for the first time, and Sanatana Goswami said, there, and at this time in the narrative, during his kirtan, this is a type of kirtan, Bhagavad kirtan, right? Vasudev kata. He's glorifying it here, and he's glorifying it based on his own experience. I experienced this. What happens when you do this? 
And, and the speaker now, he's now the speaker. He heard it. Now he's the speaker. He knows what will happen to, with Parikshit if he hears it. Hmm? It happened to him. In the course, of, he is described in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu as an example of a devotee who became perfect by Kirtan. Parikshit Marsh became perfect by Shravanam. And so on and so forth. Rupa Goswami gives examples for all the nine angas of Navalakshan Bhakti. So there at the end of that, that, that Dindakasur Leela, Sanatana says, and he, and Sukadeva attains Sarup City, is basically what he says at that point. He was able to step into his gopi Sarup. He, he, he attained, uh, uh, the, Surup city within Gopi Bhav. Hmm? So these are powerful, uh, just, I'm just underscoring what he says here. This, this, these narratives that the rest of this 10th canto, of course, is, is based upon have great power and they're examples. Now they may not happen to you today, hmm? but, <laughs> but what they did to someone else who's just like you, hmm? because all the jivas, no jiva has an advantage over another. Hmm? We're all the same equipment, same basic ingredients. Hmm? So it can happen to you as well. And it will if you go on hearing. Of course, the difference between us and Sugadev is that Sugadev had cleared off all the baggage hmm? previously. He was an Atmaram. Hmm? So the Bhakti didn't have to come in and clear out eons and eons and eons of material samskars. Hmm? some scars of anadi anadi karma before decorating the room like i said if you want to decorate your house the home decorator is going to come and say throw that out throw that out i thought you hired you to decorate my house not to throw out my furniture first we got to get rid of all this junk then the decorating begins of course actually the analogy breaks down to some extent because as we associate with bhakti and, and sadhusanga hearing and chanting and so forth both things are going on. Cleansing is going on. Hmm? Material ego is being um, deconstructed. Hmm? And a, a spiritual ego is being constructed at the same time. Very, very beautiful. Hmm? So then he begins to speak. What does he say? He says, Bhumi Driftud Nipa Vyaja. Daitjanika Satayutai. So he says, um, the earth once upon a time he says mother earth was overburdened by uh, daityas uh, and and on top of that these daityas or demonic people were dressed as people who should have been the um, maintainers and protectors of the people. So in the robes of um, uh, it's not quite a quite sheep, they were wolves, but you know, sheep don't protect us, but <laughs> in, in the robes of kings and nobility, chatriya, whose dharma is to protect the citizens in a democracy. For example, we have politicians who are supposed to represent the citizens 
um, you know, uh, majority will and so forth. But uh, of course, often they're bought off by a minority, the one percent, uh, to do their bidding at the cost of the benefit of the 99 uh, percent, where we fit in, <laughs> uh, materially speaking. So uh, it's supposed to be a very noble, uh, you know, occupation where you sacrifice your own family time and self-interest for the nation, right? So it's it's Rajagun. It's it, Rajagun is very um, noble. It's about making the world better. It's about improving material conditions. Hmm? Uh, um, uh, so and which should be done to some extent, as far as you, as far as you can. Of course, you have to realize, well, it can only go so far, because if you press down here, it comes up over there. If you press down there, it comes up over here. After a while, you realize, wait a minute here. This isn't working out, you know. I better become a transcendentalist and you get the sattvic, sattvic intelligence and see, ah, it's, it's all temporary on top of that, problematic. So to move into another direction, in, in the direction of a more comprehensive approach to the problem is the idea. But at any rate, it's supposed to be a no, it is, the, the Chatriya Dharma is very, it's very noble, um, and, uh, protecting the people and the animals and the, the na- nature, the environment and so forth. So here, you know, she's dependent earth upon them to some extent. And what's said is that they were in the dress of such, but they were acting otherwise. And this has created a great uh, burden hmm, on the surface of the earth. Uh, he, I think Sanatana Swami says they weren't sons of of Diti. In the in the, in the product narrative, you have Diti and Aditi, and from Aditi comes the godly, and from Diti comes the comes the demonic. But they were acting as demonic, so they should be classified as such. Another example of well. It's not your birth necessarily, but it's it's how you act and your qualities and your consciousness by which we'll, de- we'll determine hmm, um, who you are, where you belong, what you are. So. Um, so the earth now, of course, this is very nice. The earth. Is a person hmm, in the Bhagavatam. A very nice idea. We have to go into that a bit, um, but um, um, she seeks to 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 remedy the situation, right? Can you see me? Yes, Madge. Oh, hold on. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, so she seeks anyway to to, to remedy the situation. Hmm. And what does she do? She goes to, um, she appeals to Lord Brahma. Hmm. And in doing so, to make it more interesting, she assumed the form of a cow. So now the earth is a person who can talk. <laughs> And she is, and she, and she assumes the form of a cow. Hmm. For good reason, we'll go into. But what we're finding here is that, is that the, 
is it in the in, in within Gaudiya Vaishnavism within the whole uh, Hindu tradition? Earth is a very special uh, special place hmm? within the universe. It's a very special place. It yeah, the sun's not moving around the Earth, hmm? but it's not, nonetheless we have an Earth-centric perspective from another point of view hmm? because the Earth is uh, is Within a universe, this is from, 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 look at from a modern point of view, within a universe that is somehow hmm, fine-tuned, if you will, hmm, in terms of its constants, like the gravitational constant or um, speed of light, the mass of an electron. These are certain physical constants that have, you know, been, uh, discovered right that these are set up in such a way that if they were just very very slightly different from a modern scientific point of view life could not exist hmm? so that's very what's the chances of that happening is is kind of a theistic way of looking at it and then of course the idea of somebody must have done it hmm? set it up like that um there are there are atheistic rebuttals of 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 the why but at any rate uh there's no doubt about it. it's called the anthropic uh, principle the earth is um the universe is fine-tuned for life and within that the earth is the place where it takes place to the fullest extent hmm? There's weak anthropic principle and there's a strong anthropic principle. The weak anthropic principle just says, well, it just happens to be like that. The strong one is thought to be, well, it just happens to be like there must be a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of fall on the other side on it. There must be a reason for it. There must be a why. There must be a purpose to life. The world has a dharma, has a purpose. It's teleological. It's not just a random nothing, no meaning no purpose, so on and so forth. Uh, so um, so from the Vedic point of view, the earth is very uh, important. Of course, what the earth is, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's looked at a little bit differently than we look at it through the modern um, lens. Um, yes, from the Vedic point of view, there are other planets, if you will, lokas, hmm, where other forms of life more evolved spiritually speaking than ourselves exist in Bhagavatamrita Gopakumar is going to them right he's going to other planets but he's not going to the moon <laughs> of course the moon is described as heavenly to some extent in the in, in, in the Vedic text and well and in one sense it is its influence on earth is very heavenly full moon is very is very heavenly uh, it, it, it's, it's thought to make the vegetables taste, taste comes from that influence and so forth. But again, Gopakumar didn't go to Jupiter. He didn't go to Mars. Where, so where is he going? He's going internally. He goes to the celestial realm within mind stuff. Then he goes beyond that to the realms of uh, consciousness. Uh, and sacrifice and uh, tapa, tapalok, satyalok, uh, 
ultimately goes to Brahmalog and it goes to the Paravyam, beyond the material universe altogether. So he's traveling, but he's traveling um, internally. So the Bhagavatam's description of the cosmography and, and so forth of the world is very kind of, you know, different in, in many respects than the modern way of looking at at, at the world. Um, it's kind of a, a metaphysics uh, of of measurement rather than the modern way of uh, of measuring. And um, interestingly, though, here it's described, she takes the form of the cow. She goes to Brahma. And the commentators have said that Brahma was at that time on top of Mount Meru. Okay, well, where is Mount Mount Meru? The, an interesting thing is that uh, a god brother of mine named Sadaputta, who was a mathematician, looked into this issue. Um, he came up with an idea, and I, I'm pretty sure where he got it was from a fellow named Randolph, um, um, Randolph Clotesill, I think his name was. He wrote a paper many years ago called Time Mythologies, um, something like the Descent of Time mythologies and, and scientific instruments with regard to the Quranic cosmo, cosmography and so forth. And what he what he pointed out was that there's an ancient instrument called an astrolabe that if, if you took it and you place it over, you know, the depiction of the of the heavens and so forth or the, the, the cosmos, it turns spheres into disks and it was useful in certain ways. And um, he posited that, that Hindus use this in the context of describing the cosmography from a metaphysical point of view. So the metaphysical concepts that are found in the description there, they do have a correspondence at the same time with um, the way we look at the universe today. Hmm? So, for example, Mount Meru would be correspond with the Tropic of Cancer. Hmm? Uh, you know, what's what's the significance? The, the, the Tropic of Cancer is, uh, is, the, is the limit of the sun's northern progress. Hmm? So that's what's happening with Mount Meru. If you if you if you if you listen to the you know the Vishnu Purana or the or the Bhagavad Purana also, nowhere in the, any of the Puranas is described literally as a physical um, mountain. So we're entering into a description anyway of the Earth, of the universe, of the cosmography, and so forth, where there's a place for Earth to be alive and the Earth to take the shape of a cow hmm? and approach Brahma. Hmm? Who, who is, in one sense, when he's identified, as he is sometimes in the text with Hranyagarbha, the embodiment of all jivas. Hmm? So, when Vishnu, Mahavishnu, becomes many, hmm? from Susupti, he wakes up and the world starts again in the endless cycles. Hmm? All the jivas that are in Susupti in deep sleep and their karma is suspended, they start to come out and they're all embodied in the form of Brahma. Hmm? This is the way in which the jivas become Brahma. 
before, sometimes you've heard that before, you know, descending into other forms based on their karma and so forth. So anyway, the point here at the Bhagavatam is that she takes the form of the cow. She appeals to uh, to Brahma hmm? because the jivas are the soul of the world. Hmm? The jivas are sustaining the world and they're supposed to sustain her, at least in human form, would speak of the godly form. Also, what's being said, the earth is pious. Hmm? The earth is pious. Hmm? She approaches Brahma. She approaches a jiva who is who is pious, who is empowered by God hmm? for a solution. The jivas in human form are supposed to be pious and they're supposed to protect the earth. Hmm? But they're not. Hmm? So she goes, she says, let, me go to the, let me go to the the main jiva. And he's doing it right. He's the most pious jiva in the universe. He has the, he's got the blessing of God. Let me make my case before him in the form of a cow. Hmm? And she lets out a tremendous moo, which has to cap, capture the heart of any pious person. When a cow in distress lets out a moo, you've got to wake up here at Audari, whatever time it is. Hmm? What's going on? Just a few months ago, six months ago, at about three in the morning, I was woke up to a serenade of cows mooing. What's going on? I thought. I to, so I went down to see, and much to my surprise, there was a there was a new calf without any bull. We don't have a bull here. <laughs> Bit of a miracle. Of course, I can explain it, but how that happened, but. <laughs> We had gotten her from a dairy who told us that she wasn't bred, and the vet said she hadn't been bred, but apparently she had been, or maybe not. <laughs> this is a magical place, but uh, but um, the cow. What is the cow? You know, the cow represents, of course, the the that uh, place that's. In between the wild and, and, and civilization. In between the domesticated animal. Hmm? So she's half, you know, part of the human society and it's functioning in an agrarian society and, and half part of the, uh, 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 of the wild. So it's this meeting. Hmm? And, and and the cow do, arguably domesticates the human. If we look at it from a modern point of view of, of of history, well, the cow is domesticating the human society because humans were hunters and gatherers. And then some of them thought, well, wait a minute, you know, I could hunt that cow and have enough meat for the winter. Or wait a minute, she's I could domesticate her and till the fields and grow. And have much more food, hmm? and and have a relationship that's not adversarial hmm? with 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 the wild. And so this um, domestication, if you will, of the cow is is arguably arguably a civilizing of humanity, turning it from hunting and gathering to agrarian based lifestyle. 
which requires a little more thinking, hmm? right? Takes a little more thinking to, to grow something and care for it and harvest it than just to kill something and eat it. Hmm? So the and, and of course the cow is 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 Haviardhani. Hmm? So she is the she is like the, the wealth of butter hmm? of ghee. And and ghee is 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 the demigods don't eat anything that's not cooked in ghee. Hmm? <laughs> and and ghee is central to the to to the to the to the sacrifice by which humans communicate with with the with the gods hmm? through ritual sacrifice ghee in the fire and so forth. So she goes in the form that the will be appealing to the gods that personifies, if you will, or you know the the, the means by which partly the the, the ghee. The humans communicate with the, with the gods and, and so it's smart on her part and uh, very and, and very successful so she gets the attention um, of of uh, uh, of Brahma who along with the gods Shiva and Indra he then goes with the cow as the earth to the ocean of milk She's pleading on behalf of, of, to go back to the Puranic cosmography when we talk about the earth of the Bhumandala. Hmm? Hmm? On behalf of the Bhumandala and its purpose. I wrote a little something sometime back that never was published and it came to my mind this morning. I thought, uh, maybe I should bring this into the discussion and I'll, I'll read it to you here. Um, within the Bhumandala, of course, uh, India, is Bharat, right? Um, so, uh, in the Bhumandala, we find Bharat Varsha, roughly corresponding with the, uh, ge- in, in extended, with the extended geographical, uh, sense of what, um, is the subcontinent of the Indian Republic. So therein, um, we find in today's terminology, what might be referred to as a sense of what I would say, this is my idea, Eastern exceptionalism. You might have heard the term of Western exceptionalism, which is, which can be very racist. The interesting thing about Eastern exceptionalism is to say that the teachings of the East are exceptional and superior. If you understand the teachings, then there's no racism in there. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, just as 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 a side, um, so it was a wealth, this wealth of the Eastern exceptionalism, if you will, that the Western uh, researchers, scientists, Christians, missionaries, Orientalists uh, missed out on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the historian uh, Arnold Toynbee said that, um, I'll quote him here: "A chapter that has a Western beginning." We'll have to have an Indian, Indian end if it is not to end in the self-destruction of the human race. So, now I'll read to you. Bard, India, even today is often referred to by the West as the mystical mother of all religion. From its manner of greeting, namaste, which acknowledges and honors the Atma in our neighbors, to its ahimsa, which further acknowledges the pan-psychic 
underlying reality, the atmas in all animation, to its methodology, yoga sadhana, which Thomas Merton, for example, sought out in earnest and which so readily lends itself to adaption by other spiritual traditions, to its inclusiveness with regard to other ego-effacing spiritual traditions, to its details in the nature of the hereafter. Bharata's Sanatan Dharma, the perennial philosophy, is priceless at the cost of merely well-reasoned faith. The scripturally stated worldview of Bharat adds up to the less that is much more. The wealth of our common human prospect hidden in our underlying Atma's capacity to love, to give, combined with God's grace. And it is in the pastoral brudge within the Bhumandala, Bhardavarsha, that the heart of divinity descend, descends as the perfect object of love. More precisely, of course, Krishna descends in the Matura Mandal, which includes the brudge. And in doing so, he descends within our sensual frame of reference. Um, and with his whole abode, hmm, Brudge, which is an extension of his very self, hmm, it then overlies, if you will, a, a particular set of Cartesian coordinates, which is another way of, of, of looking at the world, right? Hmm? Um, and about that abode that comes with him, hmm, uh, Krishna says this, I'll read from, from the Tantra. The delightful Vrindavan is my own Dham. Those who reside here in my abode, whether cows, birds, trees, insects, humans, or gods, at death attain my abode. In other words, who attain in the prakat, in the manifest abode on earth. It's not a geographical area, but for the sake of Leela conforms to a geographical sense of, of limitations. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who reside there at death, they attain my abode in Goloka and Aprakat Leela. Those coward maidens who reside there in my abode are eternally connected with me and are devoted to serving me. This forest of Vrindavan measuring five yojanas is my body. The Jamuna a river of immortal nectar is also called the susuna that serves as my central nervous system. The gods and other beings exist here in subtle forms. And I, Krishna says, who embody all the gods, never leave this forest. Although my appearance and disappearance from this place occur yuga after yuga. The delightful, this delightful abode consisting of Blazing splendor cannot be seen with the material eye. Hmm. So, within Earth, special place, special universe, uh, from scientific point of view, but within this universe, Earth, a special place, personified as the cow approaches the gods, and Brahman in particular, um, uh, in 
seeking a solution to the problem of impiety, basically. And Brahma responds, as I say, he responds by uh, taking with him Indra, as the Bhagavatam verse says, and um, Indra and and Shiva, and they go to the shore of the ocean of milk. So the shore of the ocean of milk means that they 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 couldn't go even Brahma couldn't go directly to the, to the Purusha. Hmm? This is Shirodakshai Vishnu now within the universe who they who they appeal to. Brahma in particular appeals to from the shore of the ocean of milk, in which in his island, if you will, of Swetadweep, his private island, he is um, situated. But he can't be seen very easily. Hmm? He's separated from us, or we're separated from him, and even from Brahma, to some extent, as the text is saying here, by an ocean of milk. Here, if we refer back to the cow, of course, from where the milk is coming, we look at the milk as the affection of the cow hmm, for the calf. Hmm. When a cow comes and licks me, I don't think, oh, uh, my body has salt. The tongue of the cow uh, connects with the salt. That's why the cow is licking me. You could try to break it down to that, if you will, to something just absolutely physical, but that's not our perspective. She has feelings, hmm? and they are extended to humans who are who are protecting her. Here we we're milking, so we we're like the calf uh, as well. So take it for what you will. The ocean of milk represents affection. We're separated from Vishnu by an ocean of affection. We're we're lacking in that affection. Hmm? So we have to move in the direction of affection and in terms of dealings with other humans with the earth and so forth in the context of centering our love and affection through our sadhana, and our practice and our association on uh, the godhead himself who resides so who is surrounded if you will by an ocean ocean of affection a, whether whether to be in passionate in in dispassionate uh um, adoration, Shantarasa, in Dasirasa, in Vatsalirasa, in, Bat, in, 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 in Sakirasa, or in overtly passionate Madhurya Rasa, ultimately, as we come to Krishna, within the, the possibilities there in the Paravyom, there being many faces of the God, if you will. Affection is the distance. We, we often say that we measure within the Parviyom by rasa. Hmm? So Brahman is big, spacious, unlimited space. Hmm? But how big it is is one thing. How much, how affectionate it is hmm? is another. So you want to live in a big place? Or do you want to live in a place where there's where there's affection? Hmm? As I've said before, if you love someone, you could live under, you know, under a rock or in the hollow of a tree. And that would that love would compensate for 
for how small otherwise the, the area was. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu lived in a small room, you know, eight by eight, something like that. Hmm? No furniture. <laughs> but his love was immense, right? It overflowed went underneath the door even. Hmm? So uh, from Brahman, we go to Vaikuntha, hmm? where the Paramatma in the form of Narayan, forearm Narayan is, is present with these different avatars and their locus and so forth. And what's the distance from Brahman to, to, to Golok? It looks like it's getting smaller. Now there are planets and, and there are forms and so forth. We seem, which in Brahman, there's no form. It seems un, un, unlimitedly spacious, if you will. But now there are forms, but these, but these are forms of affection. So we're actually going into a bigger place, if you will, where everything that's in Brahman is found, but something more is found, more affection. It's more accommodating. So what's more accommodating? That's what I want to say, a big space or an affectionate space? Obviously the latter. I've given examples to support that idea. And if from, if then from Vaikuntha we go to Goloka, well, where, how, where are we going? We're going further in the direction of affection. We are now beyond Shanta and Dasya. There are the Rasas of Sakya, Vatsalya, Madhurya. Hmm? The place appears to become smaller. Golok is much smaller looking to the naked eye than Vaikuntha. The people are smaller. They're coward people. They're not like overtly godly. Transcendental. They don't have forms of forearms and so forth. It's not a regal setting. It's a simple coward um, setting, if you will. But the affection is greater there. So more of what Bhagwan is about, if you will, is to be realized there. So Brahma, anyway, the point is went with with the earth in the form of a cow and the gods to the shore of the ocean, and there he couldn't see the Purusha. What to speak of Krishna? Hmm? He couldn't see the Purusha. Uh, <laughs> even in Satyaloka, sometimes the Purusha will show himself, an offering will be made, the doors will be closed. Hmm? He's not like Krishna in, in, in terms of being intimate. With with his associates, so Brahma's at the shore. He he can't directly see him. This is significant here at this point, and that the Bhagavad is making. And he, but he communicates through meditation. He begins to recite the Purusha Shukta, a prayer solely focused on the Purusha, glorifying the Purusha, and the and the the Purusha you know wakes up, so to speak, and. He says, hey, I already know what you want. Hmm? But he's, he, in the sky, Bhagavatam verse describes, in the sky of Brahma's mind, hmm, meditative mind. Can you all hear me? Yes, Guru Maharaj. Yeah, I got a message. I think somebody said there was a problem. I guess it's okay. In the sky of Brahma's meditative mind, Vishnu is responding to him. Hmm? You can't see him, but he's, at least he gets this far, this close. Hmm? So how far is even Brahma from the Purusha, would to speak, uh, from Krishna? Of course, he does get there eventually. So, but, but he says, I, I already know what the situation is. 
I've already got a remedy. Appreciate your approach. And this is what it is. He tells him. So then Brahma turns around and tells the gods, you're immortals. He says, hmm? this is what Vishnu says. Listen to it and follow it very carefully. Hmm? It's a significant. I'm not quoting the verse here, but in the verse, he refers to them as immortals. They're thought to be immortals hmm? because the duration of their lives is so long compared to life on Earth that people on Earth within within the karmic perspective, doing their karmic duties and, uh, and, and, and from the Vedic point of view and so forth, living properly, if you will, religiously, they go to the heaven. Hmm? And then they have this long life that's it's so long that but we just it, it's 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 sometimes thought they're immortal, practically speak comparatively. But as the Gita says, all these planets, all these lokas within this world, even up to Brahmas, one has to come down from there. One has to die there. Hmm? But from my from my planet, there is punar again janma na, not again birth. That's the difference between my planet and every other planet. So don't think that you can fall from that planet because then you'll make it like every other planet, hmm? which Krishna wants to, wants to distinguish it from in the Gita. Hmm? So he says, Brahma says, dear immortals, in one sense, he's referring to them as people think of them. But he's Brahma. He knows a little better. Hmm? He knows they're not immortal. He knows their time is going to expire. And their good karma that they've collected is afforded them that long, like it's going to expire. And then they're going to come back down. Hmm? And they're in this like roller coaster up and down. Right. So he, he he refers to them as immortals in another sense. He says, dear immortals, listen to what the Purusha says and do very carefully what he says. Hmm? Hmm? We don't listen to the Purusha. Revelation. Hmm? Brahma's getting revelation. Revelation, not Shastra, not following the Shastra. Of course, you have to follow it in a living, a dynamic way, which requires uh, to understand it uh, in, in good association. But that will bring happiness, Sukham. That will bring Siddham, Siddha, perfection. Na Sukham, na Paramgatim, na Siddhim. But you won't attain the supreme destination and uh, uh, happiness and perfection by disregarding um, that dispensation of the absolute Shastra. He's getting a, you know, this is, this is what Shastra is in one sense. So he, he gets the impression from Vishnu, and then he conveys it. And this is what he says, follow very quickly, then you will be immortal. <laughs> then your status as immortals can actually, the term can be, can be appropriate. Hmm? So he's kind of preaching to them a little bit. Good enough. And what, so, so what does Vishnu say? Hmm? Vishnu says that, uh, let's see here, uh, he says, um, well, he tells them, uh, he says that, he, he, he says that 
he is going to. It's already worked out. <laughs> he says he's going to appear on earth hmm, to remedy the situation himself. There's another history to this that involves Brahma as well. It's said that at one point Brahma was performing a sacrifice and his wife was doing something else, which was important also, but he needed his wife to participate at this moment in the sacrifice and she wasn't available. So he didn't know what to do. So he told his assistants, get me another wife quickly. Hmm? So story in the promise is that they, that they went to earth and collected a coward village girl from Brudge, just picked her up and took her there. That's Gayatri, hmm? one of the wives of Brahma. Hmm? But the people of the village were upset that this Brahma, you know, what's he doing? He's kidnapping one of our people. Hmm? So Vishnu inter- intervened and said, I give a promise that in time I will appear in your village. Hmm? That is Krishna. Of course, when he did, Brahma's wife, Brahma Gayatri, extended herself as Kam Gayatri, hmm? manifested as a gopi in Braj. Hmm? So there's a background to Krishna's appearing amongst the cowherds. Uh, and uh, here, you know, he's telling Brahma, I already got this planned out from a long time before. It happens to correspond. Now the times, now is the time, corresponds with the distress of the earth. Hmm? And so uh, I'm going to come hmm? and um And he says that you tell the gods, tell the gods and goddesses that they should appear as well in the Maturamangal and Braj region and remain there and assist me for the duration of my appearance. And he says about his appearance, too, he says um, that... um, Bhagavan... Purusha para. Hmm? The Purusha para, the supreme, here, here is Shiradaksha Vishnu speaking, the supreme Purusha, the Parma Purusha himself, the Param Brahman will come. So he's speaking about Krishna, who he is an avatar of, right? Hmm? He's saying, not only will I come to remedy the situation, because earth is so dear to me, but also thinking back based on my promise to the Brudge people um, as well. Hmm. Uh, in the form of the Parparusha. So while while Brahma is communicating with Vishnu, Vishnu is communicating <laughs> with Krishna. And Krishna says, tell him I'm going to come. Hmm? The Parmapurusha, the supreme person is going to Brahma's not sure what that means. Hmm? He's going to find that out in the Brahma Vimohan Leela, Krishna's two, Bhagavan Swayam. How Krishna is the Parma Purusha. But here Krishna says that I'm going to appear as the Parma Purusha in the, in the, in the house of uh, the Griha of, of Vasudev. Hmm? And you gods and goddesses should come too. The implication of this, of course, is that some of the inhabitants of Braj during the Prakat Leela come from earth, from their previous birth, having attained a stage of their bhakti where it's appropriate for them to take birth in the Prakat Leela. 
And some of them who are sadhakas also come from heaven. Hmm? Now, there are different types of sadhakas in heaven. Hmm? There are those who were on earth and perfected themselves to an extent that warranted that they go to heaven. Hmm? They're going to heaven not for the reason that most people go there, but as a byproduct of their sadhana. This is described in the sixth chapter of the Gita. Hmm? They weren't perfect. They went to heaven. Hmm? Um, if those who have done that are in heaven at a time when the Prakat Lila manifests, then they will come as sadhakas from there hmm? and enter the Prakat Lila. Others who do Hungarpasana, they may meditate on themselves as God or themselves as Nanda or Yasoda or something like that. But they will merge with those associates when they come, the Nityalila associates. So there are different ways to come. But for our interest, what's most significant is the fact that some sadhakas come from earth, some come from heaven after going there from earth, attaining heaven for reasons other than what most people go there for. In other words, again, as a just if you if you're really good in being religious, you can go to heaven. If you're not perfect, on the other hand, in terms of practicing bhakti, but you don't practice the Varnashram. You give that up, but you're imperfect still in the bhakti that you've embraced. You go to heaven. Imperfect practice of bhakti takes you to heaven, whereas perfect practice of Varnashram takes you there. And it takes you there, in the case of the bhakti, as a byproduct. When he comes down, she comes down from there to earth, which is more typical they take birth in a pious family in the yoga, some scars, bhakti, some scars come to the surface and pick up where they left off and so forth. Mm-hmm. This is a unique case here because Bhagwan is appearing, the Parma Purusha is appearing, so from heaven they come, those sadhakas. Jiva Goswami says in, in Bhakti Rasamrita, three types of coward boys are there. There's Nitya Siddhas, those sadhakas coming from earth, those sadhakas coming from, from heaven. Mm-hmm. And goddesses as well mentioned here in the Bhagavatam. Then, then Vishnu says, what else? So we're getting a little long here, so I'll, we're coming to the last couple of verses. He says that, um, and also, Vasudeva Kalanantaha Sahasravadanasvarat Agato Babita Devo Hare Priya Chikyushaya. Along with me will come Vasudeva Kalanata. Excuse me, Kalananta, Sahasrabadana Swarat. He who has a thousand mouths, which means he was always glorifying me. Hmm? He is um, my Kala, my part. Hmm? And there's no limit. He's Ananta. There's no limit to his glorification of me. He is Hare Priya Chikirshaya. He exists for my pleasure. He's my part, and he exists for my pleasure. And wherever I go, he goes. Hmm? We talked about the idea, we have talked about the idea that it's, the Krishna avatar is the Krishna Balarama avatar. They come together. 
But the point here is further extended. Wherever Vishnu appears, Balaram is with him. Hmm? It's said in three is a crowd, but not when that third person is Ananta. Not when that third person is Balaram <laughs> in an appropriate form. Hmm? There's Krishna, the words in Radha. Balaram is there as the support, the bedstead. Hmm? Yeah. The umbrella overhead hmm? and so forth. Uh, he's the, he's, he's the, the uh, supporting Vishnu uh, on, in, in, in the ocean of milk with every, practically every expansion, every avatar of Narayan, uh, Seisha Ananta is there as well with Lakshmi. So there's the three. <laughs> Narayan, Lakshmi, Ananta. And what is Ananta doing? He said he had a thousand mouths, which means he never stops singing the glories of he cannot he he's, uh, he exists as um, there is the personality of God had served and the personality of God had servitor that that is Balaram. It's very this is see this is a very nice statement here in Bhagavatam about Krishna's descent and the fact that this Ananta Sahasravadana Swarat, Karepriya Chikirshaya, some of the characteristics are described. It doesn't say Balaram, but it's Balaram who appears. And then the Godias have theologized about that considerably to bring out this point and the glory of Balaram. And concluding then, what else we have in this section? Earth appears. She's significant. The significant position of Brahma is brought out. The significant position of Vishnu, surrounded by an ocean of milk, and above him, the Purusha. And next to him, with him, Ananta. And along with them, a sister, Yogamaya. So, Vishnu Maya Bhagavati, Yaya Samahitam Jagat, Adishta, Prabhunam Sena, Karyate Sambhavishyati. So he says, he says that um, that and Vishnu Maya Bhagavati Gaya who will as the whole world will come as well. Here, what's being said is that in two forms, my Maya will come in Yoga Maya, who appeared from the womb of Mother Yasoda, just prior prior to 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 to, to my appearance. This is in the in the Braj Lila, and and, and who showed herself to Kamsa in, in the prison when taken there by uh, Vasudev to be Mahamaya. So uh, one class of person is going to see her as Mahamaya. She's going to show that face. The other class is going to see her as Yogamaya. And the, the other class, the latter, is, of course, is, is a devotee since she has such a significant role in, in following Krishna, if you will, like a shadow, anticipating his every desire and facilitating that. That is, that is, that is, is Yoga Maya. So these, this is the composite, if you will. Krishna, Balaram, and Yoga Maya to the appearance of Krishna, whose day we're celebrating today, Janmastami. Hmm? So we'll end there. Any questions? If you have a question, please put English and unmute original audio. I think there's a chat here. I'll look there and see this. 
Immaculate calf conception, someone says. Yes, Daudaria. Estebien, Prabhu, say. Alang Altkan. It's it's uh, it rains strong there. It's powerful, powerful. Thank you for reminding us of that. For those who have been there and have some scars from Madhavan and and the rainy season, it's a very beautiful time. So, yeah. Anyway, interesting uh, beginning, if you will, to the tenth canto. We will go on, of course, to describe further the circumstances and and then uh, the and the then the conception uh, uh, of for Krishna's birth and the prayers of the demigods to Devaki in her womb and so forth, and then the actual birth of Krishna and the Braj Lila playing out. Hmm. Someone says, Mahara says, I have a question. Well, yes, also Indrabhaya raised her hand for a question. Okay, either one of you, whoever speaks first. Whoever's speaking, I can't make out what they're saying. Mitra, Prabhu, we can't hear you. We can't hear you, Mitra Sane or Mara, if that's you. Uh, so we can hear like a little bit. It would be better if you write out your question. If you write out your question, type out your question, and I'll be able to read it. Well, uh, the other question. Hare Krishna. Happy Jamashtami. Um, I, I just have a question. Maybe that's, it's not that related. I'm sorry. Um, I was wondering, so like Brahma and Indra, they're like basically positions, right? And um, I was wondering, so what about the position of um, Bhumi and also Maya Devi? Um, are these also positions basically with like a, a turnover? Those are those are those are the positions to attain. You could attain the position of a Brahma or an Indra, but you can't become Bhumi, <laughs> or you can't become Yoga Maya. Budevi, she's one of the wives of 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 Abraha. Okay, so that's a quick answer to your question. Yeah, thank you. Uh, let's see here. Uh, can you elaborate on the metaphysical explanation of Krishna's appearance from the heart of Vasudev to the womb of Devaki? Well, um, I mean, the idea there is is, is simply that. Um, it's a it's a it's a it's a metaphor for initiation. Hmm? Uh, Vasudev um, transfers his conception, the Vasudev conception. Vasudev uh, is uh, in the Bhagavatam a term used to refer to the Sudasattva, hmm? uh, Sandini Shakti, pure existence. Hmm? Unmitigated by the modes of nature, the Paravyom, where Bhagavan resides, right? So this conception coming into the person of Vasudev is transferred to Devaki, whose womb 
you know, represents, uh, I think, maybe like bhakti. Mm -hmm. So, so from sadhu sangha, from guru, we get the conception. I mean, we get bhakti from devotees. <laughs> We, we, it's it, 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 and it, it, actually, technically speaking, Diksha is supposed to fix up our our goal, hmm? our nishta, hmm? and so forth. Um, so that is kind of the metaphysical and allegorical way of looking at that particular um, lila, hmm? and to take it to. to Remove from just a mirror, like, okay, God is taking birth, um, but it lacks some of the physical um, requirements, biological requirements that otherwise would be would be necessary. God comes to Earth. Just the implications: He comes within His own surup shakti, so He doesn't He doesn't take birth. He's unborn. He, he's, he's eternal. He doesn't take birth. He doesn't have a beginning, but there's an appearance of a beginning. What else? Another question? Hare Krishna. Uh, can you hear me? I never know. I'm never sure. Yes. Uh, since you spoke about, you know, the business of Balaram and Yogamaya serving Krishna, how will be the difference of, in the service? The difference between, well, um, They have different uh, services. Uh, Yoga Maya's service is kind of an invisible service, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas Balaram's service is visible. He's 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 present. Um, so Yoga Maya as a, as a Shakti will sometimes uh, manifest Madhurya setting, sometimes an Aishvarya setting. Relative to the necessities of the leader, more in the background. Think maybe of Yoga Maya as, if you want to look at theatrics, as a, as a stage manager. Hmm? Curtain call, change the scenery, open the curtain. Um, that's her service. Balaram's on stage with Krishna hmm? and, and serving him personally hmm? in different ways. Hmm? Um, also, by extension of himself, as I said, as his bed, as his shoes, as his, you know, he's over his head, as his umbrella, protected from the sun. He's under his, under his body as his shoes. He's across his torso, as his sash, clothes, which are done in is also his, his Brahmin thread. So it means, He's serving him from top to bottom and, and, and in between. Hmm? And he's and he's literally doing that by extensions of himself. I think eight or nine ways it's described. Plus, Balaram is personally serving serving Krishna. He he serves him by telling him you shouldn't do that. You know, that mother said we shouldn't do that. Okay, let's do it. Anyway. <laughs> but uh you know, he he he's the Mariata Purusha in Krishna's life. So he's he he, he seeks to at the behest of Mother Yasoda to make sure Krishna behaves himself, which is a pretty big task. Uh, sometimes he uh, 
So there are different ways that he served. But anyway, the difference being yoga is in the background, like like the, like the stage manager changing the scenery to fit the necessity of Bhagavan's desire. And of course, she's doing that for Balaram as well. So the difference between the two also is that Bhagwan, Balaram is 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 the Vishnu Tattva, and Yogamaya is Shakti Tattva. What else? I see. Here's another one. Yeah. It says, um, "Will this mentality of not looking anywhere else make my spiritual life safe and leave me forever?" There is a message before this is still from the Vyapati. Yeah. Yeah, he says. Well, excuse me. Will this mentality of looking, not looking anywhere else, which I refer to, like I think. Uh, just, just before he's writing, Hari Krishna Guru Maharaj on Baladev Purnima class, he made the point that misunderstanding Guru Tattva is arguably, arguably, the greatest impediment to our progress. Mm. In my understanding. You are giving us the knowledge and insight that I would call threefold or three in one, meaning to say combined knowledge you learned from Srila Prabhupada, then later from Srila Sridhar Maharaj, and you are also giving us personal realizations and insight of your divine self. This threefold combination that you are giving to us, your followers and disciples I personally consider to be perfectly complete and I do not have the need to look anywhere else to find anything else or hear anything else to make it even more perfect whatever it means and then there is the other message will this uh, mentality of not looking anywhere anywhere else make my spiritual life stale and leave me forever in the Kanishta level of understanding Guru Tattva and it will be impediment to my progress or there will be no problems for me if I do not search for more since in this specific three-in-one knowledge mercy case it is perfectly enough with knowledge and deeper insight and one just needs to put this all into practice and attain perfection and prema one day. Your humble servant, Devya, uh, Devya Patidas from Serbia. Yeah, I, I don't think you don't, obviously you don't have to look for anywhere else. If, if your application of the teachings that you're receiving from me, uh, becomes, if it does become stale, it's not because of me, but it's because you, you, you may need more association. In another circumstance, um, and and that's part of my teaching. <laughs> so you say you want to follow only my teaching, and you worry that would that be a problem? Well, part of my teaching is that we should always seek good association of advanced Vaishnavas and so forth, and that that will be the fire, so will cook us, so to speak, and make us offerable. So we shouldn't avoid the association of advanced devotees in the name of I'm only going to listen to my guru. If the opportunity presents itself, so if someone comes to your town and give a talk, you go there. I mean, he may not be may not be a good talk, but you're looking for one good point anyway. If you can use it, and uh, you know, and, and great, you know, if it's more than that, it's great too. Um, so part of my teaching includes the idea, hmm, obviously, that sadhusanga is important 
and I, I, I'm not going to be here forever, and I'm not going to be where you are forever, if ever again. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I've been there once, uh, so I think so. I, I hope to come back. But uh, um, obviously, you're enthused. You're hearing from me. Yeah, you don't have the need to go anywhere else. But uh, that that doesn't mean that that what I'm teaching can't come further to you through someone else. That that, should, that possibility is not excluded. That doesn't mean, uh oh, I better start looking other places too. You found the fountain. Drink from it. Hmm? If it's if at some point it's it, it seems turned off, then you know. Well, then it's another thing. I doubt that's going to happen to you, but. So I hope that answers your question. You don't have anything to worry about. You seem, from what you say, you're, you're doing fine. You're enthused. So yeah, it's a, I'm fired up, but what if I'm not at some point? I mean, that's a silly question. <laughs> you, you, don't have, you don't have to ask that. Then I wonder how enthused you really are if you're asking that kind of a question. So you can just listen to me. If that's working, that's fine. But listening to me means being open to to the opportunity for sadhu sangha if it presents itself you don't have to go run after it necessarily but all right what else is there another question yes there is mahara okay saying the prayers of the demigods to krishna in the womb of devaki are philosophical to the point of appearing out of place for demigod prayers typically they glorify then ask for help. In this section, they comment on the power of bhaktis as compared to other processes. That's a question? Yes, this is what she wrote. She says they, they glorify bhakti in comparison to other processes. Yes. But they also ask for things from Bhagwan. Um, yes. I mean... They ask for things, but here, uncharacteristically, they're glorifying bhakti. Is that what you're saying? Thank you. <laughs> See that? You can just turn off the rain just like that if I ask. Uh, the, 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 de- the demigods are considered basically to be sakama bhaktas. So they're devotees with, with, with some desire to be in the world. So they're still in the world. They have some desire. That doesn't mean that they don't understand necessarily the efficacy of bhakti hmm? because there's no way to get it's there's no better way to get things in the world than to ask bhagwan for him he might give he might not i suppose but but (laughs) that's his choice but uh the bhagavatam recommends you approach him regardless so i think that they 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 can praise the efficacy of bhakti over other paths and still be thinking of bhakti as the best means to attain um something less than all that bhakti has to offer. Hmm? So in the ultimate, uh, the bhakti of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu affords us the opportunity for prem. Hmm? Um, but that doesn't mean it won't, it doesn't have other byproducts and that other processes are uh, not even as powerful in, in affording us those byproducts. Hmm? Therefore, Qualification of bhakti, even from a sakama bhakti perspective, seems uh, appropriate. Now, 
I hope that answers your question. All right, so we've gone for a little while here. I think that's that's enough for today, and we'll meet again tomorrow for Prabhupada's uh, Avirbhav. Sri Krishna Janmastami Ki Jai, Krishna Jayanti Ki Jai, Bhagavan Sri Vasudeva Krishna Ki Jai, Brajananandan Krishna Ki Jai, Gaur Krishna Ki Jai, Krishna Balaram Ki Jai, Gaur Nityananda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande Haribo. Thank you.